Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Last week, we were talking about some Bible matters or Bible things, Bible concepts, Bible teachings that matter. One passage we looked at was 2 John verse 9. That, that verse says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So this is saying if you don't abide in the doctrine of the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. You can't be saved without God, can you? I mean, the only way we can be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. This says if we don't abide in the teaching of Christ, we don't have God, we're not going to be saved. So I would say it matters whether or not we abide in the teaching of Christ. So we looked at some things last week that matter, some teachings from the Bible. We taught last week that a person has to be baptized to be saved. Mark 16, 16, for example, Acts 2, 38, Acts 22, 16. We taught last week that Christians must live faithfully to be saved. After you become a Christian, it's a lie to teach once saved, always saved. There's no verse that teaches that. Plenty of verses like 2 Peter 2, 20-22, Revelation 3-5, James 5, 19-20 teach that when a person becomes a Christian, he can, well, he doesn't just become a robot. He can change his mind, become an unbeliever, and be lost. Revelation 2.10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So you don't get that crown of life unless you're faithful to death. Let's talk about some other things, some other scriptural teachings that matter. How about the subject of divorce and remarriage? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And while you're turning there, let me mention again the number to call. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. We'll take your call right on the air and answer your try to answer your question from the Bible the best that we can do. Or deal with whatever comments you might want to make. The number to call is 877-655-6755. If you want to call in with a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Now that verse, perhaps some could say, well, that's easier said than done. Maybe so. But it's not that hard to understand. Carol and I recently uh, celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary. What this verse is saying is that if Carol were to cheat on me sexually, then I may put her away, divorce her. For that reason, God would be okay with the divorce and I would be allowed to remarry. But if I divorce her for any other reason other than fornication, God does not approve of the divorce. And if I marry, say I marry Betty, then that marriage to Betty Jesus calls it adultery. Which church out there is standing for the truth on that? I mean, if you, if you if I divorce Carol for, let's say, incompatibility, the, the most common cause in the state of Alabama, and I marry Betty, I'm in adultery, living in adultery. Let's suppose I have to, I want to repent of that and get forgiveness. What would repentance mean? Well, if you're a thief and you repent of that, does that mean you can keep on robbing people? If you're homosexual and you repent of that to get forgiveness, does that mean you can keep on committing the sin of homosexuality? 
If you're in a marriage that's adulterous, can you just keep on say, I'm sorry, repent and keep on committing adultery? No. If you have any clue about what repentance means, that means you're going to have to terminate that marriage, that adulterous marriage, and seek reconciliation with your original spouse. Yet, the statistics say that the great majority of churches, probably well over 90% of the churches in the United States and Canada, 20 to 30% of them are couples in second or third marriages that violate Matthew 19.9. Churches don't say anything about it. It's like a don't ask, don't tell policy. They don't stand for the truth on it anymore. Now, if you go back 100 years ago, all churches stood for the truth on Matthew 19.9. But that's when maybe one out of every 50 marriages ended in divorce. Well, nowadays, one out of every two marriages end in divorce, and churches won't stand for the truth on it. Maybe they feel like they can't afford to. If 20 to 30% of their membership is in an adulterous marriage and you preach against that, if you preach what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9, then that 20% of them may leave. And then they take their contribution with them. This matters. Yet hardly any churches are standing for the truth on it. Romans 7, 2 and 3. I like to say Matthew 19.9 states the facts of the case. If you divorce your wife for any reason other than fornication and remarry, you commit adultery. Why is it adultery? That's the fact. It is, a, it is a adultery. Why is that? Romans 7, 2 and 3 tells us why. So then if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Excuse me. I should have started verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law for her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. The reason I commit adultery if I divorce Carol for, say, incompatibility or any reason other than fornication and marry Betty, the reason it's adultery is because I'm bound to Carol, obligated to Carol as long as she lives. As long as she's still alive, I'm supposed to be married to her. So even though the state of Alabama grants me that divorce and I'm allowed then to remarry in Alabama, still, I'm supposed to be married to Carol. In the eyes of God, I'm still bound or obligated to Carol. Therefore, every time I sleep with Betty, I'm committing adultery with her. If I want to repent of that and get forgiveness, I'm going to have to cease Terminate that relationship. Seek reconciliation with Carol. Keith from Michigan, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Let's tell you this, Keith. Shaw, I wanted him to come to the house and talk to us. What would you say, Bible. Keith? I want him to come to the house and talk to us about the Bible. Come to your house? Yes. Okay. I can arrange that. Uh, how about if I call you right after the program and get some details uh, about maybe uh, doing a phone Bible study with me and also getting somebody from your area to study with you face-to-face, free of charge. How about that? That'd be fine. But see, we may want to mail you trailer park. That's fine. Can I reach you at this number that ends with 7262? Yes, sir. I'll give you a call in about 30 minutes, Keith. Okay. Thanks for your call. Thank you. So I'm glad Keith asked that question. Uh, if you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study, then I'm going to give you the number at the end of this program, my number, my cell phone number, for you to call or text. So you can study with me whenever it's convenient for you by the phone. And then also Keith mentioned about he would like to have a face-to-face study. I can arrange that with somebody in your area. I've got all kinds of contacts all over the place, and I believe I could arrange if you'd like to have a face-to-face study with somebody in your area. I believe I could arrange 
somebody, a faithful Bible teacher, is willing to stand for the truth on some of these things to come and, and have a Bible study with you. But in the meantime, right now, if you'd like to ask your Bible question or comment on the air, the number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Now, we have all these churches out here not standing for the truth on divorce and remarriage. As I say, statistics say 20 to 30% of their membership is in a second or third marriage that's uh, adultery, according to Matthew 19, Matthew 19, 9, but the churches just go along with it. Instead, churches are supposed to withdraw from adulterers. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or railer or drunkard or extortioner with such a one, know not to eat. So if a person is supposed to be a Christian, he's at, say he's at the congregation you're at, and he becomes an adulterer because he divorces his wife and remarries, you're supposed to try to get him to repent. And eventually, if he won't repent, you're supposed to quit keeping company with him. You're supposed to quit eating with him. Uh, the way Second Thessalonians puts it, well, let, let me just turn and read that, and you'll just see how Second Thessalonians puts this same concept. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Verse 14 says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. So we're withdraw from people who are Christians who go off into sin, like who get divorced and remarried, instead of just going along with it, instead of just accepting it. This is a this is something that matters. This matters to God. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 14, Matthew 15, verse 9, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines of the commandments of men. So this teaching that people can just stay in these second or third marriages that violate Matthew 19, 9, and churches just going along with those people who are in that sin instead of withdrawing from them, that's a commandment of men. Your worship is in vain. You can't go to heaven that way. Stephen from Washington yes. State, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yes, uh, the uh, my question is: I agree with uh, what you are saying uh, that the Lord Jesus spoke uh, from uh, from the gospel. Uh, but my uh, uh, my question is: First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, I believe, the uh, Lord spoke of uh, marriage. Uh, seems like uh, much more in detail. And I would like you to express what your understanding is uh, from uh, that chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. Well, first, we know that Matthew 19.9, Stephen, says if you divorce for any reason other than fornication, remarry, you commit adultery. In 1 right. Corinthians, 7, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, here's the uh -huh. command of Paul. Paul says, unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So I think that Paul is saying, look, Jesus spoke on this. The wife is not to depart from the husband, possibly in Matthew 19, 9 is where he's re referring to, okay? Uh -huh. In verse 15, he says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. This is maybe what you're referring to, but God has called us to peace. This Greek word for bondage is not the same Greek word as the word for bound, referring to the marriage bound, that I read over in Romans 7, 2, and 3. That word is more like the word tie 
like you tie somebody with a rope, you bind them that way. This word for bondage is more like slavery. So 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, if you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever departs, you're not a slave to them. You can let them depart. But it doesn't say anything about the believer being able to remarry in such case. Well, we know it wouldn't because if it did, that would contradict Matthew 19.9 that says if you divorce your wife, for any reason other than fornication, you commit adultery, and whoever marries the put-away person commits adultery. So if my wife, if I happen to be married to an unbeliever, puts me away, leaves me, then Matthew 19.9 would say whoever marries me commits adultery. You follow me, Stephen? Put both of those texts together, and we get the truth. Uh, I I hear what you're saying, but in my perception, uh, if an unbelieving spouse departs, believing spouse, uh, I don't think that the believing spouse is bound by that that first marriage because of the fact that uh, why should believing uh, uh, church uh, be bound by unbelievers' uh, conduct? I think, hey, Stephen, uh, you really need uh, to turn your radio down in the background. We're getting feedback. I hear myself in oh, the I background. See. Sorry. <laughs> that's That's okay. Stephen, what do you think about Matthew 19, 9, where Jesus says, and I'm going to read the second part of that verse, because we're talking about an unbeliever leaving believe. It said, whoever marries her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I have no problem with what Lord Jesus said in in that verse. I have Uh no problem whatsoever. Uh, Just like I have no problem whatsoever what you were talking about last week, you know, uh, but because because I I uh, meditated in uh, in chapter seven, First Corinthians, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, carefully and thoroughly, and I I do realize that Lord didn't say uh, specifically in the uh, similar manner as uh, as He did in in the uh, gospel, uh, but you know, Lord says. Uh, you know, get get wisdom, get understanding. Uh, you know, just because uh, unbeliever choose to do, you know, whatever uh, she or he wants to do, uh, that doesn't, that shouldn't have the, um, how should I say, uh, the the liberty of the believing uh, person uh, be jeopardized. Well. We're not saying that anybody is jeopardized, but what we're saying here is that that in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that the unbelieving depart. It doesn't say then that the believer is allowed to remarry. But Matthew, the second part of Matthew 19.9 and the second part of Matthew 5.32 and the second part of Luke 16.18 say that that person who's been divorced, the one where the, supposing the unbeliever left the believer that it's adultery if they remarry. 1 Corinthians 7.15 does not give permission for the believer to remarry. You're right that the believer is not in sin just because the unbeliever leaves them, because that wasn't even their choice. But it I never think, says the believer then can remarry. You follow me, yeah, Stephen? I mean, Lord, Lord didn't say specifically that the unbelievers can remarry uh, because his unbelieving uh, spouse... Uh, departed from the marriage, but nevertheless, uh, you know, Lord used the term uh, wisdom justifies it. 
you know, and in, in my perception, uh, the uh, believing spouse can remarry. Well, for example, Thank let me, it, this is going back to Old Testament. Let me, Stephen, uh, I'm going to have to let you go, go right now, okay? Thank you for your call. So Stephen says his wisdom justifies it. But remember Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So we can't go by what seems wise to us. Proverbs 14, verse 12 makes that clear. The end thereof may be the ways of death, spiritual death. Jesus makes it clear in that second part of Matthew 19, 9. He says, whoever marries her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So if the unbeliever leaves the believer, puts him away, divorces him, the believer is not in sin. But if he remarries, he's in sin because Jesus said he would be committing adultery if he remarries. And these things matter to God. You have to abide in the teaching of Christ to have God to be saved, Second John verse 9. So it's not like we're just talking about this for fun. When we find out what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage and about what churches need to do to adulterers in their midst to withdraw from them, this really matters to God. We have to follow the teaching of Christ or we don't have God. We're not going to be saved. You know, another thing that matters that we don't get a chance to talk about on this program that much is modest dress. First Timothy 2, 9 and 10 says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And so these ladies are told to dress modestly. The men, I'm sure, are supposed to dress modestly, too. Well, think about this. Just to give you an extreme. A young lady dressed in a bikini on the beach. Is that modest dress? Of course not. If she had anything less on, it wouldn't be any dress at all. Anything on at all. So it's not modest dress. Yet we have many, many people who claim to be Christians, believers, that will go to the beach and wear bikinis. They're not following what the Bible says on modest dress. You remember back in Genesis... Adam and Eve, right after they sin. Notice, when you go back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve put on aprons, verse 7, which would have covered the loin area much more than our normal swimsuit today. Much more than that. But they still considered themselves naked, according to chapter 3, verse 10. And evidently, God agreed that they were naked as he made them tunics to clothe them. Chapter 3, verse 21. That tunics, that's the New King James Version for the word, is a tunic, according to dictionary.com, means a gown-like outer garment, with or without sleeves and sometimes belted, worn by the ancient Greeks and Romans. There's the definition. But what we have in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, they realize they're naked, they cover themselves with enough to cover the loin area, which would be at least as much or more than the modern swimsuit. But they still considered themselves to be naked. And God considered them to be naked and then made them tunics to clothe themselves. How many times do you hear a sermon on modest dress in the church where you go? That that young ladies wearing these bikinis, these swimsuits to the beach are not dressed modestly. And they're causing the young men and some of the older men to lust. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, 28, You have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And these immodest swimsuits, other clothing besides swimsuits are immodest too. They're causing men to lust. We shouldn't do that. These matters matter. The Bible teaches in 1 Timothy 2, 
9 and 10, that we need to dress modestly. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755. While we're, while we're in 1 Timothy 2, we just read 9 and 10 about modest dress. 11 and 12 says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Yet I'm told we have passages like that, but I'm told that 75% of congregations across America, United States and Canada, allow women to preach from the pulpit. What about another passage that we read on this program quite often? 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. I really can't think of any passage in the Bible that's more clear than this text is on the issue of women preachers. It's not ambiguous at all. It's clearly saying we're not talking about women can't teach ladies Bible studies or teach children. We're talking about when the church comes together into one place, verse 23, the church service, the woman, can she preach the sermon? That's the issue. And this clearly teaches that women is to keep silent in the church. It's a shame for women to speak in the church. The Bible is not unclear on this. Yet, as I said, 75% of churches allow it. Now, why is that true? Why do so many churches allow women to preach from the pulpit when this verse and the verse we read in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, are so clearly against it? Well, I like to use this illustration. You've probably heard it enough. It's becoming tedious to you. If you want to play baseball, well, let's change it to football this time. If you want to play football, you got to use the football rule book, meaning you got four downs to make a first down. Uh, it's 10 yards is a first down. If you throw a forward pass and it hits the ground, it's incomplete. you got to have seven men on the line of scrimmage on offense, four in the backfield. If you don't follow the football rule book, you're not really playing football, are you? Now, what's the rule book for Christianity? It's the Bible, isn't it? And if you're not really following the Bible, then you're not really practicing Christianity. So churches that are allowing people to divorce and remarry, divorce and remarry, and they say nothing about it, so much so that the church... 20 to 30% of the membership are in second or third marriages that violate Matthew 19.9 in adulterous marriages, according to Jesus's definition. Churches that are going along with that, not withdrawing from them if they won't repent. People who claim to be Christians, believers who do not dress modestly, like 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 instruct. Churches that allow women to preach from the pulpit. These other things that we talked about last week, Churches that teach once saved, always saved. Churches that teach you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Contrary to the scriptures. Are they really following the rule book, the Bible? And if they're not following the rule book, are they really practicing Christianity? I think not. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. You know, another passage that's kind of shows that we're going to be in trouble if we're not following the Bible. We should already know that. But Matthew 15, verse 14, Jesus talking about some religious leaders in his day. He said, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Jesus constantly teaches by analogy. The parables are analogies. Here's his analogy here. Two men walking through a pasture. They're both blind. They come up on a ditch. What's likely to happen? They're going to fall in, right? One needs to be able to see to be able to say, let's go around the ditch or let's go over the bridge. 
Well, what's the spiritual point of this analogy? The blind leader here represents the false religious teacher. The blind follower represents us if we allow that false religious teacher to lead us astray. What does the ditch represent? That represents the bad place, H-E-L-L, being lost. So some people may have this attitude. As long as I'm following my pastor, then even if he teaches something wrong, he'll be held accountable, but not me. I'm supposed to follow him. No, Jesus throws that theory right out the window. If he's teaching something false and you go along with it, not only is he going to fall into the ditch and be lost, but you're going to be falling into the ditch just like him. You're going to be lost. It matters what we believe, what we teach, and what we practice in religion. We better get down to it and start following Jesus Christ and his word and not just playing games with this. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime, anytime at your convenience, a free one-hour phone Bible study, call or text me, 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience. Call or text me, 256-682-9753.